Hey everyone, how's it going? It's been more than a week and a half since the new rule for us clearing our own trays have come into force. Gotta admit, it was a little bit to get used to at the start, but now I just do it without thinking about it. But I still see some people actually not following through with it. What do you guys think? Do you like the change? Do you all not like the change? Do let us know in the comments down below. But without further ado, this was our take on it when the regulation first came out. So come on in, let's have some fun. And for the final topic that we have today, with the new opening of phase 2.5 again, or 2.1, whichever version you want to consider this, social distancing ambassadors will have more on their plates now by asking people to clear their plates. Hey, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yeah, that was fucking cool, man. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. Like, I just saw this infographic, I think, yesterday. And apparently, now we have to clear our plates when we go to eat at Hawker Center. I totally missed out on this bit of news, yeah? Are you aware? On clearing your plates? Yeah. Do you actually do it, like, prior to this? Today, I did it. Prior to this, no lah. I have a very warped theory on this thing, okay? And it's not because I think that I am better than anybody else. <laughs> but I really have a genuine uh, case of uncertainty uh, as in like I really don't know if I clear the plates myself yes would it result in the cleaning auntie or cleaning uncle losing their jobs okay that, that was not bad a question I was like, half expecting you to say if you clear the plates yourself will you get a discount what the um, fuck no <laughs> I don't know. I can't really answer that. There's so much to unwrap with this, even though it seems like it's such a small issue, right? Yes. Who is the one that prior to this was in charge of keeping the hawker centers clean? Was it NEA themselves? Let's, let's take it back one step further. Do you feel that if everybody clears their own plates, their own trays and their cutlery and the trash, right? Yep. It's going to make the dining experience better first. Yes. You think so? Yes. If you go to Japan, it's a very common mm. thing. Uh, most of the time Japan is a different society bro okay we, we're gonna talk about Japan in some later episode as well because even though we look at Japan as like such a model society where of depression yeah there's a lot of problems with Japan yes. so anyway that's besides the point Singapore is depressing already but as a social grace right it's always very nice to see when people clear their own plates I have come across Okay, like within my own family, that people they are complaining that we shouldn't clear the plates and trays because the cleaners are there to do it. And I think mm. on some level, even though you say that it's going to cost them jobs, you probably have that line of thinking as well. So overall, right, if you look at some of the places that have successfully done it, even like in Ikea in Singapore, almost, yeah. I would say more than half the people there actually clear their own trays. And when I go there, I'm particularly... Uh, concerned about it like, like, I will not leave my stuff there I will make an effort to clear and I think it works eh? and do you see okay. like fewer stuff in Ikea there's still a shitload of stuff there what? no but that they have always operated on this situation right so you never knew what the difference was okay I think the question goes back to who's the one that's in charge of this entire campaign and how does the money go around because to answer your question yeah. it was NEA or 
URA, whichever is is if it's a private or if it's a coffee shop. So mm. the one generally the issue is that is in NEA, which is hawker centers. Wait, so you're saying NEA used to run the management of the hawkers? NEA is the one that deals with all the cleanliness and all the issues within the hawker center itself. If you were going to set up a hawker store, mm. NEA is the one that gives you the guidelines. But subsequently, they outsource this, right? Correct. So the funny thing, right, that I'm actually connective of uh, is that I really believe that if everybody starts to clear their own trays, firstly, the cost of cleaning up of the hawker center is still borne by the hawkers themselves, will not go down. Okay. And two, it may give cleaning companies who are being contracted by NEA the opportunity to just cut away some stuff and increase their profits. Because as much as it is, you know, in a way, like we say, oh, it's so unscrupulous to do Yeah, profiteering to do this, right? Mm. The fact is that a lot of these cleaning companies, right, they are on very, very thin margins. So even saving one staff or two, right, is going to make a hell of a difference to them. But this is clearly the government's fault. Like, if they are awarding contracts that are worth so little, <laughs> is it not? Partly so. Lah. I think it's the fact that we don't have a very strong union over here that takes care of these kind of things and we don't value people's time in that way. Okay, let's tag uh, NTUs in this. But in any case, right, I get the jobs thing, but are you saying that for the sake of retaining some jobs, we should not progress as a society? Because I don't think that makes sense. I don't know if this is the exact trade-off. Because you can get the aunties or the uncles to do something else. But it is always an investment into certain types of automation or certain other ways to get cleaning done. Okay, yep. But you see, uh, that will happen regardless of whether this initiative takes off or not. What? Like somewhere down the line, you may just be prolonging or making it shorter by introducing this campaign. But the objective of all these companies moving forward is always going to be automation. Man. Like as much as they can possibly automate, they will want to try and automate. Man. So even if you don't move ahead with this campaign, right? if anything is just going to prolong it a little bit more, a couple more years, I don't think the fact that you say <laughs> clearing your place is going to cause people to lose their job is valid because it's going to happen eventually. Yeah, eventually, I suppose. But like I say, this is a question that I'm not able to, under- I'm not able to clearly answer lah at this point in time. Okay. The other thing that I wanted to really talk about is why is it that in Singapore, we need to resort to finding people in order to change behaviours? Eh? Do you feel like it's a purely Singaporean problem? No. No, man? No. Really? Yeah. Then why is Japan not like that? Because Japan works on a entire societal difference, as in the whole society's culture is like that. But Singapore is built on very, very diverse cultures, diverse personalities, diverse um, groups of races and people. Okay, The the same thing that I'm going to illuminate this point, right, or illustrate this point, mm. right, is that way, way, way back in China, the only way for things to be properly governed is rule by law. The only way you prevent stealing in the past, as cruel as it sounds, is you chop off the person's hand up. Wait, how far are you going? Because No, because on the other end of the spectrum, right, is simply this. Okay. There is a rule of law and there's a rule by law. Okay? There are two concepts that uh-huh. uh they sound the same but they're not. The rule of law upholds a lot of things like, oh, uh your you have human rights, la, you have certain constitutional rights, uh, there are certain things that are given to you or you automatically have them. That's rule of law. You know what I mean? Like you have human rights. On the other end of things, 
which most societies are these days, is ruled by law. If you don't legislate and say that you're going to find this person, people will do it. It's not just a Singapore issue, it's everywhere else. It's just that we have a bit more of a selfish persona, right? Because, hey, we are mainly Chinese. So you're blaming it on our ancestry, yeah? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Without doubt. But the fact is this, like if you don't punish people, it's very, very hard to regulate behavior. Don't you feel like this kind of thing is very, is very hard for the general population to swallow? If we go back to the chewing gum ban. Mm. There was also a lot of unhappiness when they first started to ban it. Good. 10 years later, 15 years later, do you mm-hmm. see chewing gum on the streets? We don't even remember how, for the most part, chewing gum tastes like, right? No, I kind of still eat it almost all the time. I mean, before COVID lockdown. Uh. Yeah, but you know what I mean, right? Like At that point in time when all the fines and all the very, very heavy sentences were coming out because of chewing gum, it was something that people were sure complain about. Like, oh, it's too much, la, this and that, this and that. La. Wearing a mask, for an example, during COVID period is oh, la, so uncomfortable. La. It's so difficult to breathe, this and that. Five years mm. down the road. Okay, not even five years, like a year and a half down the road, people are just like, you have to wear a mask, right? Now people get angry with you and you don't wear a mask. Leave. This is the same thing. It's going to be an issue going forward because it's new to people and it's very uncomfortable to do it. But the easiest way for you to regulate the behavior is to just punish you for... <laughs> yeah, fine you law for, for lack of a better word. Okay, but it's a bit interesting, right? If you think that the fine is the only thing keeping it from happening. So let's say if the legislation goes such that now chewing gum is allowed again, do you think we'll still face the same problems? Or has the current generation already been conditioned such that we don't really need to use chewing gum or we don't need to... Um, what, was the, what was the initial problem with chewing gum? Like, they were getting stuck at places that caused a lot of issues, right? The like tipping in point between the doors. Well, for the MRT, that was yeah. the tipping point. So you see, if let's say that we introduce chewing gum back into the society right now, and there is chewing gum in Singapore, it's just for medical reasons that we have it. Yeah, I mean, you can still get it from Malaysia. Like, it's not like it's illegal Correct. to eat chewing you gum. You can buy mm-hmm. it. You can bring it in. You just cannot bring in quantities that are large enough for people to sell them, right? The thing is, it is not the chewing gum that is the problem. It is the littering that was the issue. So now, fast forward 20, 30 years into the future, mm-hmm. we will not have a chewing gum problem in the same way because we will not have the littering problem, which is what they needed to solve. Speaking about littering, this was also one of the national campaigns in Singapore. So I did a bit of research on national campaigns and their effectiveness in Singapore. And I'll just run through a very quick list with you. Then we can see whether or not these kind of campaigns actually work. Mm. Okay, so right at the very start, when Singapore was just founded, uh, we had a public health campaign and a Keep Singapore Clean campaign. So I think it's fair to say that one was very... um, government-driven. They basically cleaned up the Singapore River, done everything to try and make Singapore a very clean and green place. So, yeah. fair to say, half a century later, it works. Yeah, okay, what was the <laughs> fines that were given out during that period in time for keeping Singapore clean? Must be them FD on, right? Yeah, but they probably started. Then, uh, subsequently, they had the Stop at Two campaign. Oh. So they were encouraging uh, couples to only have two kids because we were still growing as a nation at that point and infrastructure was a problem. Mm -hmm. Like having buildings to house these people was a bit of a problem. So this campaign actually ran for almost 17 years. Yeah, Yeah, now the campaign changed, right? Because please have at least two. (laughs) Yeah, but the thing is, right, there was no fines or whatever, not like the way that they did it in China where if you had more kids, 
you'll be financially disadvantaged. This was more of like just a guideline and advisory. Don't have so many kids because you're going to be struggling. So why do you think that worked? Because raising a kid was damn fucking expensive. Hello? It's not that expensive. Hey, 1970s, this campaign started. Uh, during that period of time, when you have a kid, you don't have the impression of sending this kid to university. What you have in mind, this fucker reached 16 years old, graduate with O-levels, can go ahead and work already. Oh, but even at the 1970s, there were a lot of people that didn't graduate from O-levels, what? Yeah, yeah, but they start working earlier, ma. During that era, that was the common thing, ma. I cannot completely credit the government for this, as in the campaign being successful. I think stopping at two children was successful because of the as a society, we progress. And because of education, because of national service, and because of the desire to do better in life, our culture has basically shifted us away from having kids early enough. A lot of the mm -hmm. people that were having kids these days are in their 30s, which during that time is like, oh, you're fucking ancient really by this point in time before you have kids. But for our generation, it was more about we wanted to get a lot of the things out of the way first before we even think about settling down. What And you know, there are huge economical considerations from things like your student loan, nah, your HDB flat, nah, your wedding, nah. all these costs come in before you can comfortably clear all these hurdles before you have children, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily Circumstantial. Say, sorry? Circumstantial. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that it was the government's success in doing it. I give them credit for building the country to where it is right now, but to stop at two children, I, don't, I really don't think that that's them, lah. Because I do know our friends at our age who have like five uh -huh. siblings, for an example. Okay. Was it like planned? Yes. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And I also have friends today, like our age, who have four kids. Okay. Okay. So uh, based on your reasoning, it seems like if we don't find people or we don't have some sort of financial penalty, then maybe it doesn't work as well. Yeah. Because I'm looking at one of the campaigns that you're, you have over here, right? Is, uh, yes. What is this? National Courtesy Campaign. Yeah, this is the one that is the most epic failure. It's been going on for a quarter of a century. <laughs> and Singaporeans are even more by now than they were when the campaign started. Yeah, because who gives a fuck? So, okay, so based on your logic, we should start finding people for being Tbys. Actually, I think the government collect a lot of money. Like, yeah, I tell you. Like this batch lady automatic fine because you're a T-Bai. Yeah. There should be some T-Bai meter. Okay. Yeah, but cannot. Like, this, this kind of campaign very difficult to police. Huh? Like you put somebody like you and me there, we're just <laughs> fine people for staring at us or even looking I at will, us. Okay. I will freaking volunteer to be one of these like courtesy ambassadors man, if I get to find people. But, okay, 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 but that's, that's one particular campaign that I think uh, actually turned out well. Maybe circumstantial, but do you remember early uh, when we were much younger that time as we were going up the escalators, there wasn't a fix, like stay to the left or stay to the right. Mm. It was always fucking messy and people just like used to camp and block the entire thing. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the stand on the left campaign was effective. I remember seeing it being rolled out in the MRT stations like maybe 10 years or less ago. And right now it's become the norm already. Okay. So this one, I think it was successful. I don't know why. Lah. I couldn't break it down. So there was no fine or anything. It was just... Be a nice person. Uh, don't block the fucking escalator. And people follow. No? I guess. I, I think this one is the same situation as Japan because like everybody is doing it. Oh, talk about Japan, right? I have a very interesting observation. So in Japan, 
this rule is different across the different states. When I was in Tokyo, you're supposed to stand on the left. Then when I went to Osaka, you're supposed to stand on the right. And when I was in Kyoto, which is in the middle of Osaka and Tokyo, you stay in the, middle. the guideline is, yeah, you just follow whoever the fuck is in front of you. <laughs> they don't have a fix. And this is legit, okay? I'm not even joking. Like Because you had to lock your luggage around, so this was very, very prominent when I was using the escalators in Japan. But yeah. So somehow this just works. Like maybe maybe like standing on the escalator is just something that's easy to follow. I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like it's because there is such a huge possibility of you being affected by this rule as well. As in, the, the real reason, or I should say the most effective reason about standing to the left of the escalator is because people who are in a rush will take the right, correct? Yes. And someday that person is you who needs to rush on the right side. So the counterpoint to this is, have you seen the move into the cabin campaign? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure. It doesn't work. Some fuckers, a lot of fuckers still crowd at the entrance of the doors. Uh. Well, that's why you hire people now, ma. Huh? <laughs> you hire people? There are people that are hired in the morning. Ask to, you to move in? And Yeah, basically ask you to move in. Do they really do anything other than just asking? No, right? Uh, just say, please no, move they in. They literally and... stand at the platform. You've uh-huh. not taken a train in the morning? No. Okay, Not yeah, doing rush depends, yeah, you privileged life. <laughs> right. you Look, they, these guys will stand at the platforms, like these ladies or uncles, right? Then I've seen them redirecting traffic. Same. They ask people to move in when the trains are crowded. I think now the diff- it's now different because they have to do some social distancing shit as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. But previously, before all this was going on, they were the ones who were telling people to move in and then they were stopping you from rushing into the train if the door was closing. Because you know some people will do that. They will stop you. Like, As in, if it's dangerous. Close line you. <laughs> no, they will just stand there and they will say like, door is closing line. If you really wanted to get in that way, you need to pull well, right They can tackle. <laughs> yeah, you need to like, steal your way in. <laughs> okay, so when I, was, when I was writing the notes for this particular section, I didn't expect to come to this conclusion, but it seems like you're right. Like, if you don't have any sort of um, financial penalty it's very, very unlikely that Singaporeans will change their behavior, which is kind of sad, right? It's true, and and I'm gonna quote, Fuck. and I'm gonna quote what happens in the U.S. Right, if you think about it, okay. The reason why guns are such a huge problem in the U.S. as an example is that the laws and the cost of gun ownership is simply not high enough. I see where you're going with this. So you're basically saying that they should put a, they should implement a COE for guns. <laughs> yeah, if you think about it. Kevin Hart made this statement. A round of magazine uh, for a pistol, right? Will yeah. cost you $20. Like. Okay. It's dirt That's cheap. Kind of... So if you really wanted to... If the guy pissed you off so much and you really wanted to drive through and kill that person, apart from your life that might be prosecuted... Oh, it costs 20 bucks. Exactly. You know, and okay. the gun, maybe another 50 So what bothers but, me about that statement, sorry, uh, is that we have gone through so much shit in NS every time anybody loses a fucking casing and it only costs like a few cents. Ganina. Yes, exactly. So if let's say that the situation was that each bullet uh, is going to cost 10k, uh, why you're really going to think <laughs> twice whether you're going to shoot that guy, okay? And the same thing over here. Hey, no, right? no, no. You see, uh, the flip side is that if the guy is super determined to kill you, right? Like, he <laughs> you if you offend people, coming. yeah! Yeah, he's going to be like, what, I'm going to use my last 10k to kill this motherfucker. I'm <laughs> just going to buy one bullet, one shot, one yes. kill, man. If speeding, for an example, didn't bring about the fact that you will lose your license, I'm pretty sure a lot of people will be speeding. 
A lot of people speed. <laughs> a lot of people still speed. Yes, uh, people still speed, but to a you know kind of more reasonable level. Because if you do get caught, mm-hmm. the penalty is extremely heavy. Correct? Is it though for speeding? It is. Uh. Yes, you lose a, like thirty km or forty km before. Like Gamin Singh recently, he lost his uh, license. I thought it was suspended only. He lost. Uh. Lost completely banned from driving, my dear friend. Oh, uh, yeah, but it's coming soon. Okay. All the big thing about him loving his Lamborghini right now, too bad, I cannot drive it. <laughs> you see, but the thing is that if let's say that speeding, for an example, is only just going to be a fine. And if let's say that it's a hefty fine, mm. 5K, for an example, but you still can drive afterwards, the rich assholes with the Ferraris, Lamborghinis, and the Porsches will still be doing it. Right? I mean, they still do that. They just are more aware of how not to get caught, I guess. Correct, correct. So the fact is that with the very, very heavy fines and sentences, the vast majority of the public will not do it. There will still be people that will try to break the law. Just like similarly right now with the mask situation, there are these two fellas who are in court for not wearing a mask. There are still people who are there to challenge the system. But <laughs> the vast majority of people will realize that it's just really, really, really difficult or it's just not worth it to do so. Till today, despite one and a half years of doing it, wearing a mask is still very, very uncomfortable for me. Because you're a princess. No, everybody <laughs> feels the same because Singapore's no, weather is fucking hot. I'm used hot. to it already. Oh, no. Okay, anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're making a good you're point. You're used to it because you don't take MRTs and you don't take public transport to work, you dumbass. I take MRTs. I take public transport. Sure. So I actually uh, enjoy taking public transport. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Comment down below if you've seen Ivan in the MRT station, okay? I have not. It's not like anybody has seen you in the public transport as well. What are you talking? Anyway... <laughs> Do you think that it really makes us more gracious as a society moving forward? Because, okay, maybe it will like two generations down when this becomes the norm. But for the people who are directly experiencing this campaign, I don't think it will make us more gracious. Eh? I feel like the flip will happen. Like any chance we get to not clear our trace anywhere else, right? we would deliberately not clear it. Eh? I mean, the same could be said about racism, for an example, right? What? If at <laughs> any given moment... Uh-huh some people are not punished for airing their views, then you get this Neon Poly lecturer situation from happening again. I think that when we were young, we were taught that you cannot say this, you cannot say this, you cannot say this, or you get punished. And then it becomes something that is inbuilt into our culture and society that going forward and when we become adults, we understand a little bit better about why we need to do this. And despite how sometimes it may not be a majority opinion, on something positive or negative, mm-hmm. but it's because these things have been built in for so long that even if culturally between us and other races, we are not f- happy about certain situations, I think that we tolerate it. Mm. The same will be said like right now, because we are so used to having people wait on us at the hawker centers that they will clear our trays and our tables, right? Yep. That now changing that behavior is a little bit painful. It's growing pains. Lah. But fast forward, 10 years down the road don't even say 10 years just 5 years down the road when you have to do this every time you're at the hawker center mm-hmm. eventually at some point in time you won't even think about it that's a fair point you know what's interesting is this was not the direction I expected this conversation to go because uh, I expected it to be something of like wow humans are so terrible we need to be given the stick before we can follow we're not going to be willing to do it but well if this conversation has proven anything and looking at the history of successful campaigns it seems like behavior modification, the easiest way to accomplish it on a national level is to find the fuck out of people. 
Yeah. And we come back to the same topics that we cycle through, right? It's all about whether people are willingly accepting the situation that they have. If it's a problem that is, or if it's a situation that people are just not particularly happy about, then eventually down the road, because the government put in these kind of policies, the government get kicked out. You get what I mean? Like, if you look at the US, which has seen like the back and forth situation, or in the UK, where the back and forth situation happens quite a fair bit, it's because one president comes in and he decides to raise the taxes for a certain group of people. And then at that point in time, you have no choice because he's the guy who is in power. But the voting process will change that situation, right? It really shows you whether or not people are happy with the kind of decisions that have been put in place. Ah. And if let's say that, for an example, something as trivial as returning trace is going to be such a big problem, as in societal problem, and people are so unhappy about it, then eventually because of this PAP get voted out, lah, which I don't think is possible, lah, right? Because who is going to have such a big problem about this? Lah? Yeah, imagine losing your government because of this issue. It'd be like, so fucking ridiculous. Then Singaporeans will be screwed already, man. Like, if this kind of thing can get us... But okay, uh, I think we've come to the conclusion that finding people works, unfortunately. Very well. It's a sad narrative about society, but it's hard to argue against results. <laughs> Remember, it's ruled by law. Okay, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, two, three generations down, if this becomes the norm, and somehow we become more like a Japan where we are gracious in public kind of society, then I don't think it's a big Sacrifice and depress and otakus outside of society. Yeah, that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> Alright, folks, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave a like, comment, and subscribe to us on whatever platform that you're listening to. And take some time and read about the concept of rule by law. I always think that it's a very interesting thing to read. It really illuminates a lot of things about societies around the world. And with that, we'll see you guys next week. Bye! Bye.